So there's this beautiful story I heard about, and it was from an African tribe, that when a woman felt ready to have her baby, she would go and find a tree that resonated with her. And she would sit under that tree and meditate for as long as it took to hear that baby's song. And she would sit there and she would learn the song until she inherently knew it. And then she'd go back to her husband and she'd teach him the song. And as they made love to create this little creature that was going to change their world, they both sang this song. Welcome to the Reality of Sound podcast. I'm Brian, and this will be the first episode of what will be a series of interviews and conversations around sound. You can go to realityofsound.net for fresh content on the practical and human potential of sound. My guest for this episode is none other than sound healer and Irish activist, Sarah Humble. Sarah has worked in the sound healing and yoga spaces, as well as environmental awareness projects she's now involved with. Her work with sound has taken her to sacred sites, community groups, and even a prison to bring personal health and planetary peace. You can learn more about Sarah as well as how to reach her by going to realityofsound.net slash podcast and clicking on episode one show notes. I hope you enjoy this interview with Sarah Humble. Okay, so I started as a yoga teacher. I became interested in sound because I had a really bad car accident and they put me full of all this medication to help manage the pain. And the medication was just stripping my stomach and whatnot. So I started looking into other ways of actually helping me manage my pain. And in the meantime, I was still teaching and using mostly my voice because my body was kind of frozen um, in chronic amounts of pain. And I was, I like teaching small and micro. So I was in a woman's house teaching a small class. And for some reason, when you're teaching yoga, sometimes your instructions do not relay into people's bodies. So there was a woman in downward facing dog and her hands were all crunched up. And I tried saying several times to her in several different ways to straighten out her fingers and press her palms into the ground. And none of this was responding. And I'd been idly walking around the room and I had a Tibetan bowl that was in her house at the time. And in the slight bit of frustration that I felt in the moment, I went ding with the Tibetan bowl over her fingers. And I watched her fingers straighten out and her hands press in the ground. And I went, oh, well, that's really interesting. So I walked to another student whose spine was kind of curving upright and went ding against the spine and watched her spine elongate and assume correct position. And now, sorry, when, when you're saying you went ding on the spine, like you, you were with the bowl, like right next to with their... With the bowl, yeah. Right near their, their right. back. Yeah, and, okay. just, and, and just gently dinged the bowl right near their spine, and their spine elongated and went into proper alignment. Wow. So I started reading up on it myself and completely became overwhelmed with the vast amounts of knowledge that there is out there about sound. I mean, it is such an expansive topic and felt like I was drowning a little bit. So um, I applied to 
the Sound Healing College and got accepted in and started to embark on my journey of sound and it was it was amazing you know it was a complete delayering of all the perceptions I ever had I was taught to listen which was a very very important aspect of everything of my journey um, and there was a lot of destructuring of my own ego of what I felt I knew and suddenly I was scraped there I, I went into deep amounts of emotional emotional facing and releasing and you know pretty much was born anew within an ability to listen and um, that's kind of brought me onto the work that I do now okay and so the sound college this is something that was was it in Ireland no it's a it's an English college it was originally called the so it used to be the color of sound but it's now the sound healing academy okay so I embarked in this amazing journey through Tibetan bowls, gongs, crystal bowls, tuning forks, drums, and voice. And trained with him in all those modalities. I suppose it's been maybe four years now that I've been working deeply in with sound. And it becomes part of your mm. life, you know, if you don't quite know how to function without it as a daily practice. Can you, can you use it really effectively on yourself? Oh, 100%. You know, it was like throughout our course, it, we can only guide people on a journey if we have experienced the journeys ourselves. So a lot of our course was actually self-work. Or yes, we would have community where we would work into sound as a group, but you would spend hours drumming, working through what the different beats did. You would spend hours working with your Tibetan bowls or your gongs. Um, and when you sing into a gong, it picks up your voice. You know, they say that um, the, the, the beauty of a gong, as you sound the gong, it sends metal ions into the atmosphere, into the, into the air around you and will cling on to anything that is not of true resonance. And as the sound dies, the gong will reabsorb the sound into it. And then when you sound the gong again, it will feed back out the previous sounds that it would have absorbed but in a much more pure calibration. Mm. Um, you know, so all sound is good, you know. It's, um, I love Koshi chimes. They're like sound pendulums. So you can use this on yourself and then play the notes that your body is most needing at that moment in time. Okay. And um, so with with the, the college that you attended and everything, you did mention that you had a few different modalities, I guess, that, that you were trained in. And you mentioned mm-hmm. gongs, you mentioned singing bowls. and Tuning I'll, forks. Okay, tuning forks as well. All right. And Voice. seems like a lot of those different type of therapies come from different teachers. It's, it was an evolution of 25 years of working with sound that he based his course on. So from his own studies, from his own using it within his therapies and whatnot. And he became just so skilled with his knowledge that he was able to develop a really, really good course. Okay, so that came from mostly his own personal experience. And I'm, I mean, I'm sure 
some work with others and, and some different texts maybe, but um, a lot mm-hmm. of it you're saying. I think you used to mention John, uh, is it John Boyer? So I think he went and trained with him for a wee while. You know, like there's so many, there's so many different ways that you can actually approach sound, you know? And I suppose as he developed his school, different sound therapists would come in and they'd add their bits and pieces to it. You know, like right. one, of the, one of the tutors that he worked with mm. would specifically focus on astrology in and around it. So mm. um, I remember the story that was told that the first gong recording that was ever released, your man ended up having NASA contact him. And they're like, where did you get these sounds? And he's like, it's from my gong. <laughs> and he's <they're> like, <laughs> these are the same sounds as what we hear when we're in space. The sound is just a mimic of what we hear in nature. It's just amplified, you know? It's, 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 it's frequencies that we can possibly sense, but we can't necessarily hear. Like, dogs have a much greater range of sound. They hear so much more than what we do. You know, so just because we don't hear them doesn't mean that these frequencies don't exist. And what I what I notice with people that I work with, it's almost like they breathe a sigh of relief because it's a physicalization of the sound I reckon they're already sensing. They just haven't had the audible sound played back to them. Right. Okay. That that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're facilitating like the group session, say like the sound baths, are you just as part of the experience as just as much as as the participants are? So when when I'm facilitating a sound bath, I push my own individual character aside. I become that hollow bone. I watch how people are responding and reacting, and let them guide me in where to go next. That you are providing a soundscape for people's inner journeys. So their physicality will, will indicate of where they are on their journey. You, you can sense where their feelings are. And when there's a collective, when there's a group of people, it's very different than an individual person. So um, I went and I worked sound in a prison one time for six weeks. And so I ended up working with these 18 men. And it was amazing because when you've got a group of people, usually the most difficult part is getting them to switch off that active mind. So sound will affect your brainwave states. It will entrain your brainwave to, at the moment, most of us in this moment, we're probably in a better brainwave state, which is an active state. Our minds are going, our bodies are functioning. When you enter into sound, it begins to lower your brainwave state into a better space. This special space is that space that you've got between the awake and the sleep, and you know, that kind of drifty, soft space that you've got where you're, you're aware, um, but not quite aware of what your surroundings are. This is where you access your subconscious. So because they were in prison, they were already in the mind. I did not need to take them in there themselves. So we started getting some rapid results. Men were losing their injuries that they had held for 20 years. One man had walked in, he was actually facing surgery, and he began to get really excited and doing drop kicks in front of me, going, look what I can do, I can move, I can move. 
Another man that uh, was there, he comes up to me after two sound baths and he says, Sarah, he says, all I've ever known is Robin and taking trucks. Mm. He says, I've sat, in, I've laid in your sound circles twice. And he says, I feel like the whole world has opened up in front of me. The change in him was so profound that his brother, who was living in America, rang me up and went, what the fuck did you do to my brother? He says, it's like I'm talking to a different man altogether. So at the end of the six weeks, I go in and they go, that was wonderful, Sarah. He says, they lost their insomnia. They were walking around whistling. They weren't depressed. They were much happier within themselves. Their injuries started disappearing. This is amazing. I said, wonderful. So you'll have me back again. Oh, no, we can't have you back. I'm like, oh, that's a bit of a strange thing. Yeah, why couldn't they have you back? Why can't you have me back? Because you've affected too much change. And we have, have you in here on the basis of a yoga teacher. We cannot be seen to be using taxpayer money on something that is not proven. This would end up in a matter of the doll, which is the Irish government, where they mm. all meet up and discuss their policies. <clears throat> and they said, we charge. So they so said, they said that you affected too much change, and then they said that it was a matter they of... A matter of not being proven and paying taxpayer money for something that's not proven. That's essentially, yeah. So there's a lot of fear in and around these alternative therapies, you know, that um, people won't accept them. Essentially, so they they unfortunately never had me back. But I will go back. I just have to have a couple of more people beside me because when you're facing these parogens of what society is dictating that works and does not work, even though sound is thousands of years old. We have always used sound. If even if it's just going out for a walk in the woods and using the bird song to ease our souls from any distraughtness that we've got, or just to settle or to inspire or to anything else like that, you know. So if we're going to challenge the way that society has been functioning at the moment, you need more than one person. And so that led me on the journey to find as many of the tribe as I possibly could, the indigenous Irish, so that when we go and confront these systems, we have a much better chance of being able to affect change. If change is being affected within the most damaged of our societies, surely that is only for a positive. Exactly, I, I agree. We, sh we should be pushing for, but it, it's not a job for one woman alone. That's for sure. I mean, you can certainly set the example, um, which uh, it seems like you have. And I, yeah, I, I've heard of well, other people. Endeavoring, Brian. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. That intent, right? Intent is the uh, most important part of it. And it's, it's interesting how they got um, these advanced results, you know, kind of so quickly. And like you said, it was possibly because they were already in in themselves being in prison. They weren't. Um, you know, they weren't out in the regular world. You know, th there's so many different things to think distracted. about. Distracted, exactly. I agree. You know, it's 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 we 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 have so many distractions in this society, and so many sounds that are not for our highest purpose. You know, you've got jackhammers, you've got traffic, you've got, you know. Telephones going, computer screens, constant media, whether it be on the television. We are bombarded with sounds in this day and age. So we tune out rather than tune in. Exactly. I mean, we can't listen. 
with so much so much going on and not even thinking about um all the technology necessarily that's more of like internal kind of chatter but even just the just the raw sounds that are going on so we did mention the irish music right so maybe we could touch on that a little bit i think irish music brings peace and so we have these gatherings called flacios, where musicians from all over the country will come and gather and take over a town for three to five days at a stage. You will have musician after musician, because there's a lot of commonality with a lot of the trad music. It kind of works on the same principle as sound therapy, where a repeated sound will help entrain your brainwave state into that altered state, that set of brainwave state. So you've got these musicians from all over the country with a couple of tunes and they sit down and they start to play and they swap music back and forth. So there's like this whole evolution and growth of music that happens from our ancients essentially. I remember being at one flan on the sat there in the morning and I'm drinking a cup of tea. And there must have been a group of about 10 musicians. And the music was just so in synchronization. It was just absolutely just in the flow. And you feel like there's magic swirling in and around you. And then what I began to see was swirls of light ascending from everybody's head. Each person who was playing and then combining into almost a spiral vortex beautiful entwined roping of music, of sound that was arriving out of it. So I th- I've thought an awful lot about it. Um, if you were a nation of huge amounts of knowledge and your culture was under attack, if it was being taken from you, if all the wise people were getting burnt at the stake or you know, being taken out, then you'd want to put this knowledge in somewhere. So I really do feel that that when we were under this, that knowledge, because we did not have a written form of language within Ireland for many, many years, knowledge was passed through the music. You can hear the the same sound of your ancestors through the music that's been played the whole time. If you drive drive while listening to Irish music, you will begin to see how the Irish music shapes along the landscape, how it explains the smell of the gorse and the sound of the bees and the whispering of the trees and the undulating effect of the mountains and the hills and the breeze through the glass. And, you know, so I, I really do believe that our ancestors would have contained and kept our knowledge through the bloodline, through the music, and through the stones upon our sacred hills. And that we can actually, if we just take the time to listen, reserve judgment for another time, and just let yourself be in that meditative state, that you can actually learn a hell of a lot. We don't need to educate ourselves anymore. Which actually kind of brings me to an interesting point. If we were on the process of oscillation where the strongest frequency wins out, there's a theory I read about that we are all transforming into a crystalline structure. This is on the basis that we have crystal in all of our electronic devices, our telephones, our laptops. We are surrounded by crystal at the moment. If we are evolving into a crystalline structure as opposed to a less of a carbon type structure, this will allow the absorption of knowledge a lot stronger. 
where we can now just begin to remember rather than actually straining to try and learn. And you're saying this is if we were uh, more of a crystalline structure? Crystalline structure, yeah. Well, I think I think we're evolving as a oh, humanity, as a race. You're saying we we may in fact be evolving biologically to be more crystalline structure. Yeah, and being able to absorb memory a lot more. So, did you ever read about the crystal skulls? I have not. Oh well, <laughs> enjoy finding out about them. So I think there's seven of them. They cannot figure out how they are made. So there, there's a book written about them. I can't remember the author just at the moment. But um, they are these crystal skulls. They say uh, in, I think it's the Aztecs or maybe the Mayans. It's South America anyhow. That when one shaman would die, he would choose the person that was going to succeed him. And... Uh, and he would place his hands upon the crystal skull and in that moment download all of the knowledge that he had gained in his life. And not only that knowledge, but the knowledge that he had got from his predecessor. And his successor would put his hands on the skull and take in that knowledge from the skull. So that it stopped being knowledge from one generation, but became knowledge of many generations. It's kind of the same idea that I have with the wells of how that actually mm. works, where our memories are going into the water and that we can actually absorb any of it. So that, that's done on a certain frequency. If we are surrounded by crystal, as much as we are within this modern society, then surely we are now absorbing information at a vast level. That is incredible that they would almost pass down information with this crystal skull as kind of the conduit for transfer. Mm-hmm. Well, like memory memory cards within computers have with the crystal in them right. to be able to contain the memory. It's the same principle as what we're using within the modern age. It was just from human to human without the machine in between. Right, right. Um, so yeah, so the Irish, the Irish music. It sounds like you use it more in terms of like your own internal kind of connection with it. Um, well, I suppose with the Irish music, it helps build community. Um, okay. So I went to uh, uh, it's it's that commonality that people. It doesn't matter what they do for a living, it doesn't matter what sort of class system they are, once you have that grow, that love, grow is love, mm-hmm. um, for the music, that it, it just it takes away all the social casts that are out there and is a common level. So I went and did a Boron course, and I, from the studying of the shamanic uh, beats from drums, when we were going through the Boron course, it was the same sorts of beats that were being used within the inside the Irish traditional music, except it was sped up to the bejeebies. It was super fast, you know what I mean? So I think that it's, you know, all knowledge is the same information. It is just put together in many different ways. 
sound is very much about getting in touch with your body, getting getting out of your mind, helping you experience emotions and flow. And I think traditional Irish music is really a forum where people can experience the sorrows that they've had, you know, when you hear a ballad. That's a lament for a woman who has lost her husband to the sea and suddenly you are there, you feel it, you are experiencing this emotion inside you or the excitement of a, of a reel and the leaping of the, of the stags through the trees. And I think Irish music really helps people get in touch with that emotional side of themselves and helps them process their emotions in a way that isn't necessarily personal to them. And it's very much mm. of a healing tool. Absolutely. No, I can definitely see how that would be healing. Mm-hmm. Especially for people who aren't really based in music um, in their normal lives. You know, to access that mm-hmm. part must be really nice for them. It's, it's really healing for them. You know, I'm not sure it's always a pleasant experience. You know, when you're, when you're working with sound with someone, sometimes they go into deep states of grief. What, you know, and it is just about opening up those parts that they haven't felt safe enough to explore. You know, you are just holding that soundscape for them to access those emotions that they're previously repressing. I mean, what do you think is one of the greatest misconceptions out there that you've come across in the sound healing world? Um, how I find my own body resonating with what I hear is how I pick and choose and what I believe. I think different people would resonate differently, so what might respond with one person won't respond with another one. And I think that's the beauty of having so much information come through. Everybody is still getting to experience sound. And it's, but it's so multifaceted, it's open to absolutely everything, everybody, because there is so many differing opinions. So that's kind of how I feel about that. Okay. Uh, you, did, you did speak earlier about some sort of resistance to people trusting the sound therapy. Uh, do you find people in Ireland are more willing to try it? Um, I think it's a, a massive, huge popularity because people are are really reaching the end of what they possibly can help for. There is a lot of skeptics, but that's what science is for. When you innately know about sound, you investigate all aspects and you find different language that resonates with everybody. I think it's not the sound that doesn't resonate, it's perhaps the story that's attributed to the sound, similar to what you were just asking in the last question, you know, about different people's belief systems. So it's just finding the right language for that person to be able to understand what is actually happening. So sometimes I need to talk more about the science of sound to somebody rather than the spirituality of sound or the potential of sound. And just, you're, you're not imparting a different story. You're just turning the diamond into a different way that it can be more palatable for them. And a lot of people are becoming fascinated with it. It's kind of, you throw a stone, you hit a sound therapist, and there's sound baths jumping all over the place. I think, you know, people are definitely becoming more open open to these ways of being. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you, uh, do you see it as almost being, how do, you, how do you see the sound healing world kind of expanding or developing 
I see so many different sound therapists come out. There's so many different layers of being able to understand. I welcome them all. The ones where I think are flat and nonsense is perhaps, or, or a bit shallow, is perhaps opening the door for, to be able to um, open it for more people to be able to experience it. Maybe they're a little bit more comfortable if it doesn't go down into the deeper layers of what sound is possible. And then if they resonate with that journey, they go further and further down and you can get deeper and deeper into the practice in the same way as yoga. There's always going to be people who commercialize on it. Sound courses are expensive. Sound bowls are expensive. So are gongs, tuning forks. Jesus Christ, it's the most expensive hobby I've ever had in my life. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so I, I, I think, you know, that there will be a certain amount of adulteration of the purity of sound through people wanting to commercialize on it. No doubt. Yeah, no doubt something old and ancient that is resonating within people and it's giving them that community that they are craving. Do you know when you sing together, all of your heartbeats attuned to each other's beats? Or if you play drums, everybody's heartbeat is on the same flow. That's an amazing way of building community. And I think, you know, it's a, you don't have to believe in that for that to happen. If someone asks you to describe the benefits of a sound bath. Okay, so the benefit to me of a sound bath is the opportunity to access your subconscious. Your subconscious is what drives all of your automated ex- um, experiences within the body. So tear production, um, sweating, lymphatic release, all these things are automatic responses that the body does breathing, for instance. So when we're accessing and changing the brainwave states from that active mind down into that lower stage of, of that drifty place that people go on, if you have an intention, if you have something that you would like to manifest in your life, you can go down into your subconscious holding that. You place it in your subconscious, you drift through sound, and then you rise back up. Your intention then becomes an automated response. It is a way of accessing this power of empowerment within the self. Rather than struggling and striving to achieve joy or happiness, you can put that in your subconscious and it starts becoming this automated response. You've done a a whole lot of these sound baths, I'd imagine. Mm -hmm. Um, What is the most common effect someone usually reports to you? Let's say it's their first time. What is kind of the most common refrain you hear from them? If you do a sound bath right, you will not hear very much afterwards. There will just be a very relaxed, slightly spacey, glassy-eyed, content, and gentle space that people enter into. And it will take them a wee while to come back around and ground themselves. And quite often, they... It will only be in the days afterwards that they will begin to report back of how they are feeling. Sometimes there's deep emotional shifts within it. Sometimes there's just contentment and happiness with it. It is individual to each person, you know. Okay. Sound is a lot more accessible than meditation for, for you know, meditation is something that you actively have to practice. It takes time. 
right. to be able to access those deep states of of of, of ease within the body. Where sure. sound, it does not matter whether somebody believes in it or anything else. All vibration affects physical matter. So you know, you, you posted on your blog about the cymatics. Your cells are seventy percent of water. So when you are in a sound bath. Your cellular base is reacting. Your blood is changing patterns. You know, you were experiencing those seismatics internally. Exactly. You were getting yeah. those releases. So it doesn't matter your belief system. It doesn't matter what you're going for. I've never met a single person that has not been affected by sound. It is like a fast forward to years of meditation. Yeah, meditation is one of those things. You're right. It's like a practice that uh, you need to keep up with. And it's almost like you're kind of starting from square one if you're not keeping up with things. Well, the brain is just electrical impulses, isn't it? So when we're meditating, we are expanding through those electrical impulses. We are trying to fire new neurons and new different pathways, which bring us to different ways of thinking and being. But the brain is often lazy. It will go along the most easiest path that is grooved from years of use. Thus, you know, the self-sabotage, the, you know, difficulty of believing in oneself. These are patterns that a lot of people hold. So with sound, it fires those neurons with rapid succession. You were brought into places within your brain and able to, you know, expand that a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. With meditation, you know, it is like slowly digging your path through the muck and trying to fire those neurons. And unfortunately, a lot of us are not not nutritionally able to be able... Our, our neurons are starved. Um, it's like wild meat, eating off the land. It has a high content of chromium and copper, which is essentially brain food. If your cells are not fed enough, then how can, you know, you're, you're thinking like starved roots of a plant or a tree, you know, where it reaches out and it's weak and it can break real easily. And it's only through practice with this muscle, you know, memory that these become stronger over time. Anything that comes to mind as far as a specific instance of someone that has reported back with a story that they may have told you about how the sound bath changed something or maybe transformed something for them? I was working with couples for a wee while using sound. I've tried many, many different ways of applying sound to ways of being able to help people. So what I was doing was couple recalibration, um, where inherently mimics as human beings. So, you know, um, you'll respond to the person that you're in love with, that you're living with. Um, begin to mimic their body postures, you know, and what, what, what happens is you become the person's worst enemy. This happens quite a lot, you know, even though there's huge amounts of love, you become the reflection of the other person, they become your worst enemy. <laughs> and yep. I think, that, you know, so I started using sound, so I'd stretch out their bodies, I'd see where their physical structure was perhaps not necessarily aligned, you know, maybe the woman would have collapsing in as the solar plexus from lack of doubt the man might you know have too much heart or be overextended in the throat chakra you know because of his determination to move forward with life and in the pair of them 
So what I began to do with sound was I would lie them down and I would take what was in excess from, let's say, the man and feed it back into the woman in her depletion. And so rather than being at odds in frequency with each other, there would be a biofeedback where the, the person's weakness would be fed by their partner's strength and vice versa. So it, it felt like I was weaving their frequencies in a way that just worked with complete seamlessness. So like I've had couples that I've worked with that just up and moved in together within a week. Even though there was all these doubts, I had another couple, mm. they, they made the big decision of having another child within a couple of weeks of going to the sound bath. So they're all really, really happy things, you know. Wow. That's really interesting um, application of it. I'd never really heard of a sound bath almost, you know, being presented like that. Like it could even be applicable to those type of, of problems. Oh, yeah. Well, sound can be used for absolutely everything. You know, um, I spend an awful lot of time out in nature, out in the wild. You realize that all of these are tools for intention, that you could take two rocks together and bang them together and create the same physiological response and hold a journey for a person. You don't need to bet and bowls. You don't need all these expensive equipment that at the end of the day, if you focus on it, your intention will bring it there. Like I studied Thai yoga massage and, you know, as as you're working, you have the attention, I am tuning into the internal organs. And you do. You can begin to manipulate and move internal organs just with the magnetism of your hands. You can adjust bones if you're focusing on the bones. You can go to the myofascia level where it works on people's hands and they felt the response within their shoulders or their lower back just by working with the myofascia. You know, so mm. all of these are pretty gimmicks we do not need them but the sound is definitely very helpful to help open you up to all of these possibilities but you know it is intention at the end of the day of what you were doing and where you're going with it and then the sound is just helping people tune into that okay so so the you're saying intention is kind of the the real thing that's working behind the scenes here the core of it. That, that's what I feel, you know. You, you'll feel the difference between the sound bath of somebody who's going in there with intention as opposed to somebody who's going in there to bang some bowls. And there, there is a vast difference to it. Um, perhaps it's ego. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, personally, I just feel it's, you know, intention. We covered a lot of ground in this interview. And for clarity, it was edited by Topic. The next half of this interview is dedicated to Sarah's sound experiences on sacred sites, the Holy Wells of Ireland, and her project, All Is Well. And it kind of brought me to where I'm working now with the sacred sites and the Holy Wells of Ireland using sound. Um, I've always, I've always travelled to sacred sites, and there's been a resurgence of the indigenous people of Ireland gathering upon mm. the sacred sites over the last few years in Ireland. So um, I ended up travelling around with an amazing musician, Rory Noon. He plays in a band called Dow, and we'd march up the hills carrying my gongs, carrying my bowls, carrying my tuning forks. 
and entering into these Karens and seeing if we could get the Karens to resonate using the sound. Um, we had varying degrees of success, um, placing tuning forks on the center of carvings that are on the rocks. And eventually we managed to get a lot of the Karens to begin to resonate. Now, when they resonated, when you got them to resonate, um, like how was that identified? I'm just curious. Um, well, we'd, we'd record quite a lot. And so we'd come back and we'd listen to the recordings. Quite often, the resonance that would come back off the Karens were not necessarily audible within the moment, but were audible within the recordings. So a couple of years ago at the summer solstice, or the, sorry, the winter solstice, we had been up in Newgrange and we moved to a sacred site called Four Knox where we can get entrance into the Karens. Um, now, with Newgrange, it's been scientifically proven that if you play drums inside Newgrange, that it disturbs the dust layer. And as the sunlight pierces into the Karen, the dust layers will actually create a sound wave that is visible. And they reckon that the trick with the light, as well as the sound, would enter people into trance-like states, which would allow them to essentially commune with the sacred sound stream that we've got going between the ionosphere and our atmosphere. So are you saying that that sacred site, this interaction with the dust and everything, that's been going on for a long time there? Like it's thousands not... upon thousands of years. Well, we reckon that on the similar basis of what Tillinger is saying, that these, right. uh, these sites were activated using frequency, using sound. So we had just been to Newgrange, and Newgrange, we, you only get a short amount of time because so many people want to go into the Karen. So we went down to another Karen and popped down to the local farmer who holds the key to the gate because unfortunately most of our sites are gated. Okay. And there were five of us that went in there with buffalo drums. And so we're drumming inside there, and that's all well and good. And because of being taught to listen, you start hearing a hell of a lot more than, you know, the ear is a muscle. So the more that you practice with the ears, the more frequencies that you can actually begin to attune to. So I was inside there, and I got the intuition, actually, because... Because there's all these chambers in off the central chamber. Everybody get into a chamber. So three of us got into the, the chambers off the central Karen and two stayed in the center. The recording that came back from that, it was almost like angels singing. The sound of the drums resonated with the Karen to such an extent that there was this angelic singing that was coming, reverbing back off the Karen. Wow. Now... How were you guys recording in there? How did I get the recording? It's all on my. It was all on my telephone. Okay. Um, I don't even know if I still have any of these recordings. Okay, that was going to be my next question. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm so sorry. I could go looking for them, but I've taken so many recordings over the years. So I took to starting recording the ceremonies that were being held on these sacred sites because sound is layered. And I reckon these sites actually communicate back using sound. So quite often when you're present and you're in the moment and you're in the ceremony, you're not quite aware of all the different textures and layers that come in. So I hit record as I went in. Mm. Everything plays into a much bigger picture when you listen, whether it be the wind picking up and rustling the trees, a dog barking, a child 
crying, you know, somebody rustling, and you end of intention that is biofeedbacking of the people that are engaging through their voices or, you know, and the, and the, the sites are actually responding from them. Right. And I mean, especially these sacred sites, which have, like you're saying, and, you know, others have said too, these special properties that almost seemed like they were um, engineered in that way. Absolutely. You know, the, the, these sites are all astrologically aligned. They are all within pure sacred geometry. And, you know, it's like, so frequency tends to go on sacred geometries. You know, it is the purest form that we can actually put forward. Personally, I feel these sites were our hospitals. They were our healing centers. They were the spaces where we went to affect proper health because it's the same principle of sound therapy. You know, um, oscillation is the idea that if you put two ticking clocks on two different beats next to each other, the strongest tick will bring the other clock into synchronization and they will begin to tick at the same time. So it's the same principle with the sacred sites. When we appear here, the geometries here are so strong that our bodies innately begin to attuned to a much purer way of being within our own frequencies. Mm. And have, I know you said you went there with others, I guess like a group of friends or something, right? Um, no, there's a resurgence of the indigenous people in Ireland happening. Um, there are more and more people appearing. Generally, you can recognize them through the bright eyes and you know, they, they're, they're, they're looking to go back to an older way of being that is innate within our blood structures, that mm. we know that we do, do not fit within these modern societies. More and more and more, there's hundreds of us now. And are these... And that's on, mostly on these sites. Okay. Oh, oh, wow. So it's like almost you go to these sites and you'll just, you're just bound to meet other people there who are kind of there for the same reasons in a way? Oh, this, well, the, the reasons are different in many, many different ways. Um, not everybody has the same belief system, but everybody's driven that we want to help rebalance the land. You know, we want to rebalance the ecosystem. So this kind of brought me into the work with the well. Um, so my project is the all is well. That's what I spend 99% of my time doing. Um, before I started on this journey and sound had kind of brought me along this way, I was living a fairly standard existence in a house. You know, I was working, ran my business as a yoga teacher and a sound therapist. And because of my habit of listening, I had decided I was going to do that tree frog medicine because I had just moved to a new town. I was like, right, reset my calibration. We're starting a new chapter of my journey. And the universe went, uh-uh, you don't need any of that shite, and landed me with a five-day fever. Uh, and this five-day fever, five day, I was completely okay. out of it. I was, I, was, I was away with the fairies completely, not embodied, drenched in sweat. And when the fever broke, I sat up. Up and I went, all is well. And I scrawled it in my notebook. It was all real, real shaky. And I realized that I had had seven years of being blessed with having spring water tapped into my house in the last house that I had been in. 
And I've moved into a town and had been drinking by the gallon this water that had a high concentration of chlorine, fluoride, you know, all the processes oh, yeah. put through yeah. purification. In my fever, I had possibly interacted into a sacred sound stream. I, I feel like it's the voice of the island speaking back. So I realized that this water was toxic, it wasn't healing me, so I started going looking for a well in the area. And the first well I came across, I must have drank my body weight in water, and immediately I began to feel much, much better. So as I'm sitting with the water in the wells, I started hearing whispers from them of other wells and started this journey of discovering all these other holy wells. Now, we have reputed 3,000 holy wells within Ireland um, on, the, on, the, on the basis that water contains memory. The same drop is contained as... In it, 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 uh, the same memory is contained in a drop of water as, in, is, as a whole ocean. All of the people who have ever drank out of the well have imparted a bit of their DNA knowledge, their innate knowledge, into the water. In Ireland, we used to be heavily forested with broadleaf. In fact, trees were our way of being. Our law systems were based around trees. Our language was based around trees. They say the Irish language is the sound of the trees. Mm. speaking essentially so with the deforestation we have experienced huge amounts of cultural loss here in Ireland but a lot of the trees that were saved that are ancient were beside the water so the memory and the, that the trees contain would be in the water's content and all you have to do is spend time sitting with them and listening so because I went and started finding these wells, and most people have water tapped into their houses, a lot of these wells were manky. They were, they were in desperate need of cleaning. So being the practical woman I am, I hopped into the wells and I started cleaning them. And the wells, they're, they're, they're pretty much speaking to me. That's incredible. And now these wells, when you say you just went and found a well and, and started drinking out of it, uh, like, are these wells on, like, private lands, and you're kind of, I'm not sure how you're finding them. Okay, so I was randomly finding them. Um, so looking at OS maps, Ordnance Survey maps, looking for wells there, talking to local older people who would have had memory of well, and everybody in Ireland actually has a story about wells. They are the echoes of our pagan past. So when the Catholic Church came over here, they realized that they could not change the belief systems here because we were the center of knowledge. Druids from all over the world would have come and studied in Ireland. They even attributed its pyramids to actually um, being built because the engineers of the pyramids came to Ireland and learned our building techniques that we used for our sacred sites. And then went back and put their own slant on it and you ended up with these pyramidal structures. We've actually hmm. got pyramids here in Ireland. Never heard that one now before. They're, That's... They're, very, they're very hidden. I've got a couple of photographs of, of pyramids that are hidden in the hills. You know, pretty much Whoa. you throw a stone, you'll hit a sacred site within Ireland. We have the biggest part of this worldwide machine, in my opinion. Do you know what I mean? We, we were never conquered. So the Romans didn't manage to come in and obliterate the site. 
the Catholic Church did try and obliterate them, but because we have the fairies here, quite often those who took the stones from the site because they were encouraged to by the church, huge ills would befall them. Family would die, mm. cattle, farm animals would die. So, the, the, you know, the, there's a lot of superstition placed in and around them within the hearts of the Irish people. So a lot of them were left untouched. Now, what's going on in Ireland right now? Is that just, is that something that the Irish people as a whole, like we're trying to kind of get more more of their like cultural identity from the UK or something? Or is it just like you're saying this is more like a more local movement within Ireland? Okay, so we held on to our cultural identity fairly strongly um, all the way through the the UK. It was when the, U- uh, the EU threw all the money at us that we suddenly became ashamed to be Irish. Mm, okay. And we lost an awful lot of our cultural identity, but it goes further back than that. Um, right, our right. whole culture was based around our trees. As the English deforested it, I read somewhere it took 1,800 oaks, mature oaks, to build one of their galleon ships. And they had fleet. If you want to see our ancient Irish forestry, you go and visit the English manors in England, and they are all, gosh, our ancient Irish oaks. (laughs) Ireland was a completely tree-covered, forested country and now we have lots of green fields not the emerald isle but -hmm. all those fields all those hillsides would have been and i think a lot of our cultural trauma has come from the deforestation that has happened in ireland over hundreds upon hundreds of years but we did not give away our identity until we joined the european union in entirety now, there seems to be this resurgence of people appearing on the sacred hillsides where we're starting to cross paths. And we have this beautiful thing in Ireland where we are only three people removed from each other. You can meet an Irish person anywhere in the world and you can sit down and have a cup of tea with them. And within a short space of time, you will find a person that you know in common. There are quite a few of us that are now starting to put a lot more seriousness on reclaiming our culture. It's not necessarily a nationwide thing, but it is a nationwide thing. A lot of people that still are buying into the stories of the, all this debt, you know, that our land isn't our, ours. It's all land seizures, essentially. First, Cromwell was sent up with his army, castrating the men, killing the dogs and raping the women. Then that didn't work. So they sent the famine in and they exterminated us through the famine. There was plenty of food here in Ireland, but we were just not allowed anything but the potatoes, which had the blight. So Mm. thousands upon hundreds upon millions of people starved to death or immigrated. This left an awful lot of land open for seizure. The main forestry company within Ireland, Quilcha, the land that they hold is the deeds of the land that the people went to the workhouses for the bowls and soup and they handed over their deeds to their land. And that is what the Quilcher Forestry actually is. It's from the time of the famine. They right. send in the modern day version of land seizure. Banks, debt, 
we had something that they called the Celtic Tiger come into Ireland, where they were waving money left, right, and centre in front of people's faces. People were getting carried away because we had been a third world country up into the early 90s. So mm -hmm. all this money waved in, people went daft. And they started building houses that were worth 1.5 million and half a million, and then the economy crashed. And the banks are seizing house after house. They are kicking people in out of their homes to live in hotel rooms. And then these houses lay empty and derelict. There are mad things going on in Ireland, as there is anywhere else in the world. But a lot of it is just fabricated stories that people are actually swallowing. Right. We are reclaiming as groups of people that are starting to put a lot more seriousness. So we've got... We've got the tree, which are inherently part of our culture. We have got the water. That's a part, a lot of part of my water activism. It is mm. to give the wells and the water back to Irish people. A few years ago, they tried instilling water charges across Ireland, saying we had no water. So they instilled all these measures, and it was the only thing that the Irish people actually stood up and united against and said no. You are not charging us for our water. So it encouraged the, you know, like we were warriors on this island and we still are. Wow. We're just so busy being cowed and kicked like dogs that we have forgotten that we have this rise. But the water actually instilled people. So we were under the, the categories of law, which would be Brehen law, common law, the original laws that we have. And we've mm -hmm. got groups of people that are working on that. Then we've got water, like there are so many strong water workers in Ireland. I'm not the only one. So we've got organizations with the trees and we have land. People who work intently with the land, whether it be singing the land, whether it be regenerating the land, replanting the land. We've identified those categories that if we can start putting the groups in the same spaces, in the same rooms, that perhaps each of us have been fed different parts of that puzzle and that we can actually start to really reclaim our culture and our heritage under these and start using a unified language. If we can get recognized as indigenous people within Ireland, as a group of people, this gives us a lot more say in land policy, in how this mm. country is ec ecologically managed, because this is our deities, essentially. Right, right. So this is what we choose to put our intention, our prayers towards, so that they can't drive motorways through places, that they can't plant Sika spruce, which is not good for this island. It poisons the land for up to 25 years. It brings down the insects, the midges. I mean, they're, they're dead lands. And then when they're forested, they are wastelands. You cannot mm. grow anything on them. And that is what this company, Quilsha, is mostly planting. Just tell me a little bit about what you do, your practice. You want to talk a little bit about that? I don't generally advertise. Um, I listen very much to my intuition of where to appear. Um, I have the intention of working with people that are the highest calibrated people on the island because this is how I feel that I, I can affect the most change. If you can tune somebody who is already driven within their ideas, their thoughts, their 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 capabilities and attune them, then they go back into their communities the same way as that sacred fire on Ishnach, mm. and they help tune their community. 
So I work with people with great ideas and help them come to the highest potential that they possibly can reach through using sound to help that. So, um, <laughs> okay. and I'm going to continue my work with wells. That's kind of, you know, taking up most of my time. As far as your well and water work, environmental yes, the type well of and work? water work is what is going to okay. help affect the most amount of change on this island. All right, that was my interview with Sarah Humble. I'll leave you guys with one last story told by Sarah that was previewed at the beginning of the show. And remember, if you'd like to learn more about Sarah or get in touch, you can do so by going to realityofsound.net slash podcast and click on episode one show notes. You can also connect with her project by typing all is well into the Facebook search. Now I'll leave you guys with this wonderful story that Sarah shared until next time. So there's this beautiful story I heard about sound that stuck in my head. And it was from an African tribe that when a woman felt ready to have her baby, she would go and find a tree that resonated with her. And she would sit under that tree and meditate for as long as it took to hear that baby's song. And she would sit there and she would learn the song until she inherently knew it. And then she'd go back to her husband and she'd teach him the song. And as they made love to create this little creature that was going to change their world, they both sang this song. And then the song would be taught to the woman's mother and mother-in-law and her sisters. And all the way through that time that that child was forming within the womb, that song would be sung as the mother was massaged and loved and prepared for entering into motherhood. And when the baby was being born, the women of the village would gather together and they would learn the song. So as that child entered into this earth, the song would be sang. So the baby would hear it for the first time within this world. And all the way through to that child's life as they grew older, any physical moments, that song would come and hold the space and the calibration for them. And if at any stage, as that person went through their life, that they would lose their way and act dishonorably, the village would gather that person into the center and they would surround that person and they would sing that song until that person would sign home. And then finally, when the last breath was leaving that person, the village would gather for the final time and sing their soul away from their body. 